Um, I don't have an intro this week. What? What do you mean you don't have an intro? I didn't have time to write one. Jeez, I didn't expect the Spanish Inquisition. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Our chief weaponry is surprise. Surprise and fear. Fear and surprise. Our weapon... No, wait. Our weapons are fear and surprise and ruthless efficiency. Our three weapons are fear, surprise, ruthless efficiency, and an almost fanatical devotion to the Pope. Our four weapons... Are blah 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 blah. You are accused of heresy on three counts: heresy by thought, heresy by deed, and heresy by action. Four counts. And now for your sentencing. Get me the comfy chair. That's right. Capital punishment on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. <laughs> Attention, planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Podcast. Welcome to a shockingly good episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. <laughs> I am your executioner, Insane Mike, and I don't want to leave you hanging, so uh, I'll get right to it. Uh, this is episode 189 called Capital Punishment, and if you don't know what that means, don't lose your head, I'll inject you with knowledge about this episode. Oh my God. We will be talking about horror movies... Where the main bad guy has been executed in one form or another, like a, a electrocution, hanging, whatever. So this episode should be a real gas. Mm. Have you heard of this little thing called Shudder? Well, Shudder is a premium streaming video service, super-serving fans of all degrees with the best selection of horror. Shudder is a sponsor of our show, and we have been fans of the streaming service uh, long before they even started sponsoring the show. So take it for some real fans here. Shudder is a must for any and all horror and genre fans. And you can get Shudder as low as $4.99 a month or $49.99 a year. We here at Attack of the Killer Podcast love our listeners, so we will give you a month of Shudder for free. You just simply use our promo code AOTKP. They even named it, even named the promo code after us. How awesome uh-huh. is that? That promo code again yep. is AOTKP. So get your free month today. This show wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for our Patreon supporters, or as we call them, the attackers. You too can be an attacker by becoming a supporter of the show. So if you go to Patreon, Put in AOTKP. Once you are there, you can see all the glorious tiers you can choose from. And guess what? You get perks. That's right, perks. Just for supporting the show. <laughs> Who doesn't love perks? Perks. Uh, we're talking bonus episodes, which means now you can listen to us every single week. And if that's not enough, Attack of the Killer podcast in your life, you can also you will also you could also get like weekly videos from the various crew of the show, or my weekly video series, Insane Mike's One Minute Top Ten list. And that's not all. There's even more. If you go check it out for yourself, you can see all the cool stuff you could get. So again, go to Patreon.com/slash AOTKP. 
And when he says perks, he means specialty items, not like Percocets. We're not drug dealers. Oh, no. Right. Well, I meant perky nipples. Our show, oh. <laughs> our show, as well as several others, can be heard on our very own podcast called the Prescribed Films Podcast. And you can check out all the shows. What are we at? 17? Yep. 17 shows on the network at thepfpn.com. That's thepfpn.com. Such amazing shows as In the Mic of Madness, which is our newest show. And so I just want to take a moment and highlight this podcast. In the Mic of Madness, it's a horror, it's a horror movie podcast, kind of like us. Got some great hosts. Um, they are a lot of fun. Uh, I just got done with their episode 19, where they discussed the movies Crawl and Eating Eaten Live. Isn't that a good one? So it was a cool combo of those two movies, both you know alligator movies per se. Right. Uh, but yeah, great episode. I'm with you. I thought it was awesome. So happy to hear. So happy to hear a lot of positivity yeah. about Crawl. Right? Yeah, because um, that movie's great, and I. It's as if they were saying what I was thinking. Exactly. You know, because yep. they were just talking about how, just like, tense it is through the whole thing, and like that's what I loved about it too. Like. It's just nail biting through the whole thing. So, they also kind of started a new show called S uh, SOBs Who Love SOV, which is right up my alley because it's a show where they cover movies that are shot on video. So, I'm super excited about that. I kind of I, I'm like halfway through their first episode of that, which they're talking about the classic shot on video movie, The Basement. So. Check them out on thepfpn.com. But now it's time to introduce you to the podcast true. Since they can't execute you until you've had your last meal, he ordered an everlasting gobstopper. Tad good, everybody. <laughs> that sounds like Tad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, guys. Hanging, drawn, quartered, electrocution. Even set fire at the stake is too good for this monster. So for his punishment, he'll be forced to watch a Larry the Cable Guy movie marathon. Jason Bollinger! Oh my gosh, how punishing. What's up everybody, thanks for listening to the show. And lastly, he was flogged. And he liked it. Andy Wassum! (laughs) (laughs) Yes, 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 thank you. Thank you. That's hope that doesn't give my wife any ideas. So. <laughs> she listens to this? I was going to say, uh, <laughs> step, well, well, step one, get her to listen. Step two, flogging. Yeah. Well, she has to listen to me. That's bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's enough of me yapping. Let me turn it over to Tad. All right, it's everyone's least favorite segment <laughs> because it's the, <laughs> because it's the longest on the show. It's uh, what we watched, where we discuss... What we've watched that's not part of this episode. I will go ahead this week and start with Mike. What did you watch? Cool. Okay. Um, I only have three, so it should go by pretty quick. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Woo. Saw that. That hey. is... That was awesome. I freaking loved it. Oh, I was laughing my ass off in that whole final scene. I thought it was hilarious. So good. Um, but the movie is just oh, it's so good. And 
such a love letter to that era of Hollywood. And, but uh, but the interesting part of the movie going experience, we're sitting there. It's it's Jason, our friend Holly, and, oh, yeah. and I sitting there, and I'm looking around and it's... like, we're the fucking youngest people in this freaking yeah. crowd. It was all a bunch of like gray-haired folks. Yeah. Like, for real. Yeah, At a Quentin Tarantino that. movie. That's a love letter to 1969 Hollywood. It has a bunch of old people in it. Yeah, but did I were just, they familiar with who Quentin Tarantino <laughs> was? Like, how did they learn about this movie, let alone... Well, yeah, yeah I, I, college kids don't have Reservoir Dog posters on their walls anymore, man. It's sad, oh. but... Uh, you know. That is sad. It's a damn shame. But still, like... I just want to know what's going through their heads during that, uh, that you know, the final scene there. <laughs> They're probably movie. asleep by then. Huh? <laughs> but it was crazy that many. There were a lot of elderly folks there. Yeah, it was weird. And then Jason and I also marathoned The Boys on Amazon Prime. Hell yeah! It was freaking awesome. Yeah, loved it. Absolutely so ready for season two. <laughs> And then, uh, and then we watched a Point Blank, um, uh, which is a Netflix exclusive, um, directed by my boy Joe, Joe Lynch. Lynch. So, and we had watched the trailer a few weeks back, and I'm just like, eh, I don't know, I don't know. It just seems rather generic actiony film, but it definitely has a lot of Joe Lynch's touches throughout the film. That. You know, is why I love him as a director. So, yeah, it was it was worth it, and and then the story turned out to be a way cooler than I thought too, based off you know, because the trailer didn't really give you any of that, any of the story plot points or anything. Yep, I thought it was great, but that's what I watched. Excellent, I uh, Andy. I'm guessing you didn't see Once Upon a Time yet, did you? I have not yet, no. Okay, so we won't go too far into it, but um, I, I guess that's, that's a good segue. Andy, what did you watch? <laughs> um, well, I'll start off with uh, I, too, also uh, binge The Boys on Amazon Prime, yeah. and I, I gotta say, I absolutely love it, because uh, Garth Ennis is probably one of my favorite comic writers. Yep. Um, I I still own you know all the preacher books and uh i haven't really even watched you know many of the preacher episodes because i just i i like the books so much that i had a hard time you know uh watching the series but i'll tell you this i read the bulk of the series of the boys and i actually think from what i've seen from the series i think i like the series a little bit better uh, Eric Kripke, you know, I mean, he's no stranger to making good television shows. I mean, how many how many seasons of there are there of Supernatural now? That's gone like fifteen. Yeah, yeah, something I mean, like that. It's 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 crazy. Um, I'll I'll leave that what it is. I mean, I the show. I'll let the show speak for itself. I mean, it's it makes sense that a lot of superheroes, you know, will act like this. It's like, uh. Well, I I just want to s- say based on your um, statement about the show being better in the books, I've only read a select few issues, so I don't have and and I I know the basic story with the seven and everything, 
from yeah. the books, but the few issues that I've read, I, I think I have a tendency to agree with you because um, I don't know. I don't know if it's the art style, which is good. Don't get me wrong; the book is good. The book is really good, and Derek you know, Robinson and the I art and the art is good. But the whole everything to me came off far more. This is going to sound weird to say, but far more comic booky, far more. Yeah. Far more goofy, you know, sillier. Even though the material is probably even darker yeah. in some it's instances, dark as fuck. Yeah, it seemed it seemed more slapstick in the books a little bit. Yeah, uh, but this this one and plus I'm a big Carl uh, Urban fan. Oh, he's so think, good. Think, oh yeah, I, I think they picked the right guy for this, and uh, of course, you know the the in, in the books. Uh, even though the the origin of the female is 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 different, I like the way they went about this one. But I also like the fact that they kept the relationship between the fr- uh, Frenchie, the Frenchin, the Frenchman, and uh, the, the female, because yeah. uh, in the books the Frenchman is the only one that can, you know, can even sort of calm her down and relate to her because there was a I won't go too farther into it because we got a lot of ground to cover but uh, there's a part in the book where he's trying to relate to her Frenchie does and he puts all he does is put a hand on her um, on her shoulder and he just kind of glances over her shoulder and she looks like like she's going to kill him and all he does is take his hand away, and she doesn't do anything to him. I mean, it's like, and you you get this, uh, you get the inclination that th- that's like a huge step, because like in the uh, in the comic books, she's like insanely ruthless. She's like the baddest ass in the group, the female, which is I love that dynamic. Um. Anyway, let's let's move on. I I went. Uh, Old school, new school with my list here. I actually, uh, and I think most most of our listeners know that, you know, much like Mike Reeb, I'm a big VHS guy. And I actually watched Hellraiser on VHS. And the one thing that's unique about this is I watched the New World uh, video version, which is the first release of it. And in the New World version, there is a promo at the beginning of of the film and it's this old lady you know talking about you know concluding the film you know there'll be a you know a special promo afterwards you know for merchandise and it's this old lady and she's got this cat and says well you remember the wicked witch of the west well well this will be a piece of cake so you watch the whole film and then the fucking room looks like a goddamn tornado went through it. The, you know, she holds the cat up by the tail. Her hair's messed up. Her glasses are cracked and shit. The cat's the cat's just dead as shit. And you, it goes through all these uh, promo items. You know, back then, like this Hellraiser thermos and this Hellraiser mug that are you know that have you know the logo on them and and the poster and like this satin varsity jacket and shit i've looked on ebay for these things and they're not there i've only seen the thermos once and it was going for like an outlandish amount of money like back in 87 i think you could have got it for like 16 bucks so i think that old promo shit's really kind of cool next up i watched a comedy 
uh, called Masters of Menace, and it's about a uh, motorcycle gang that want to bury their brother, you know, in another state, but they're not supposed to leave. And it's just, you know, typical, you know, just uh, late '80s, uh, early '90s uh, comedy. But the but the people that are in it blew me away. I remember seeing this back when I was ten, and uh, David uh, Rash uh, Rashke. Uh, the sledgehammer. He's the leader of this biker gang, right? And his wife is freaking Catherine Bach. It's Daisy Duke. And the cameos in this are as followed. Uh, let's see. John Candy's in it. Dan Aykroyd's in it. Um, and I think George, George Wendt uh, from Cheers is in it. And... Uh, Jim Belushi's in it as well, and they all have small roles. And that's actually uh, it's it's nothing really special, but I was just surprised by the amount of cameos that were in it. It's a fun it's a fun little movie. Next up, I watched uh, the Vinegar Syndrome release of Splatter University. Uh, I gotta say, for uh, the budget they were on, I think they did a hell of a good job, actually. Uh, have you guys ever seen Splat? I'm assuming you guys have, right? Splatter University. Yeah, it's been forever, though. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't bad. Um, I mean, the the acting is, you know, I mean, it's not super great, but it's just uh, it's called Splatter University for a reason. It was just, you know, to you know capitalize on the slasher craze. But it's, I mean, it's very it's very low budget, but I think. What they what they were working with, they did a pretty darn good job. I actually kind of like it. Wait a minute, Splatter University is that the one with Carolyn Monroe or Carolyn? Um, yeah, Carolyn uh, Monroe from uh, Maniac. That's Slaughter. That's okay. Slaughter High. Okay, cool. Okay. Next up, I have a Ravens Banner release, and it is called The Canal. Uh, it's basically uh, it's an English film, and um, it's about this guy who is a film archivist, and he gets this roll of film in, and it turns out it's crime scene footage from the early 1900s, but it freaks him out because um, it's the murder footage from his house. That, uh, from a murder that took there many, many years ago. And it jumps off from that, that point. Um, his, wife goes, his wife goes missing, among other things, and uh, a lot of freaky stuff happens. I won't spoil it uh, much more than that, but I will say, and I told uh, Jason earlier, and, I, and he agreed to it as well, uh, the last 15 minutes are totally worth it. Because things just go completely off the rails, apeshit, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a slow burn at times, but it's 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 worth the watch. I I next up, um, since I need to, uh, I felt like I needed to uh, get to know indie horror a little bit, um, and the title really pulled me in. It's a film, a Sean Burkett film called "Don't Fuck in the Woods." <laughs> I mean, you, have you any of you guys seen this? I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say, I will say this uh, for 
like much like uh, Splatter University, for what they were working with, I think they did uh, a pretty good job. Uh, I mean, like, you know, when you're when you hear a f- film called "Don't Fuck in the Woods," there's going to be a lot of fucking in the woods. I mean, come on, let's let's get serious here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and basically, that's you know that's what you don't do. So I mean, there's a lot of TNA. There's there's some pretty decent gore. The one thing that really kind of makes me sh- cringe at sometimes is the dialogue. The dialogue is just like it's. You know, uh, I know horror films are no stranger to the F word, but there's some scenes in here that's just like F, 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 You know, and it's just like, it's Too saying much. the F word for having the sake of the F word. It's just like, this, the shock value isn't even there. It just becomes irritating. Um, but uh, effects-wise and gore-wise and, you know, just locations, for what they were working with, they they did a good job, but just some of the some of the dialogue is just nauseating, and uh, they're pretty proud of the fact that it was made in Ohio. I mean, it's Ohio, an Ohio based film. But and where'd you see it? I I just heard about it, and I just like, well, you know, I got a little Amazon Mad Money, and I'm just nice. gonna I'm just gonna pick it up. So I just bought it. So and I'm I'm not disappointed with it. Um, I'm glad I'm glad I have it. It's worth a watch. Cool. Next up, um, a complete 180. I watched Scooby-Doo and the Curse of the 13th Ghost, and it's a newer one. All I got to say, guys, it's, um, it's a throwback to the original uh, Vincent Price ones. Nice. I loved that and, run of Scooby-Doo. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, this, this DVD, it's like it maybe cost me 10 bucks. And I, just, I thought it, it just looked like a fun time. And it's a newer one, but I tell you what, the guy it, and it's Vincent Van Gool yep. is in this. Yep. But um, the guy who does this guy, uh, this Vincent Price voice in this, you think I'm good? I am shit compared to this guy. Cool. This guy does he does it perfect. But then what's really cool about this? It also includes the vintage cartoons to all the ghouls I've led before and Horror Scope Scoob, which has which are the original Vincent Price. Uh, awesome. Yeah, the only thing that ma- the only thing that makes me mad it's got that asshole Scrappy Doo inside of him. Well, not <laughs> not just Scrappy Doo, but they introduced that new character Flimflam, who uh, oh, he yeah. annoyed me more than Scrappy Doo. I like hated those, you know. And the only other one of the um, the actual mystery gang was um, that was there was Daphne and Shaggy. So it was like Shaggy, okay. Scooby, Scrappy. Daphne and then this kid Flim Flam. And then Vincent Van Gogh was kind of like the boss that told him where to go to find uh, mm. the ghosts to put back in the case. And I've got the box set to that. Uh, I bought nice. it for Simon years ago. Because I loved, I loved that show. I thought it was like the greatest Scooby-Doo ever. Um, yeah. And and the Batman and Robin ones are fun, and the Kiss, oh, yeah. you know, that's those are fun too. So, um, next up is a newer film. I took Tad's advice, and I actually purchased this uh, under the Silver Lake. Nice. I really, I really dug it. Um, the wife, uh, not so much. Uh, I mean, she didn't hate it, but I mean, and I kind of agree with her at some points. Um, there. 
I mean, not everything, not all loose ends have to be tied up, but some stuff has to make sense, and there's a lot of unanswered uh, parts in it for me. Uh, but all in all, I think it's I think it's pretty fun. Um, I love you know, I love like the aspect of the loser being able to figure things out and do some do doing at least one thing right in his life because in this yeah. <laughs> Andrew Garfield's character in this movie, I mean, he's such I wouldn't call him a scumbag, but I just call him he's just like a. Uh, he's just like a sloth, man. I mean, he it's just, he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't, yes, he's got no, he's, his ambitions for shit, but I mean, he finally finds something to like, I don't know, get his ass off the couch. Um, I'm, I really like his posters in his apartment though. I, you know, I'm really digging those, but, uh. Yeah, very, very unique things, you know, with, you know, serial maps and Nintendo Power. Things that I would never, you know, in my wildest dreams would think to tie together. And I just, I really, I really like that kind of shit. So, yeah. Under the Silver Lake, I recommend, yeah. It's it's at least worth when one watch. It's probably not for everybody, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm into it. I like it. Next up, I've got some goodies here. There's all these old school ones, and I only reason only reason why they're I watched them because I just got these giant clamshell uh, Warner Home videos, and I won't talk much about them. But um, I watched The Road Warrior with Mel Gibson. I mean, what 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 else can be said by that? I mean, the only <laughs> thing that it, uh, the only thing that reminded me of because it reminded me. Uh, if you would put like a, a Joe Dirt wig on that weird kid at Crypticon that keep bumping into us, you know, and like you know growling and everything, it basically would look like the feral kid from Road Warrior. And that's what that's where my <laughs> mind went when I because it's like, what the hell is wrong with this kid? Um, and next up, it's another humongous uh, Warner Home Video big box clamshell. I actually. Uh, and I really, really enjoyed it, you know, and I always enjoy it when I watch it because it's been, but it's been probably at least five or six years since I've sat down and watched it. But the original Amityville Horror. Cool. Yeah. And sorry, it took up a lot of time, but yeah, that that's it. That's all I watched. Uh, it's funny because I talked, I was at a friend's house this weekend and that somehow came up like they had just watched the original Amityville and we got on that subject of how that uh series or not even it's not even like a cohesive series it feels like every you know there's so many amityville movies and they're not all necessarily even from the same teams or people i'm guessing you can just sort of use that name it's yeah not i just watched a youtube video like you know 10 worst horror movies of all time or whatever and it had one of the amityville movies on the list and it said on there that uh, that there's like 13 of them. Um, and the thing is, and the reason why there's so many of them, is that anybody can make an Amityville movie. The, the title Amityville, the word Amityville is public domain. So um, mm-hmm. you could just put Amityville, you know, suppository, and you, can, <laughs> and you have a movie. Frightening. Have you got... Have you guys ever heard of the documentary My Amityville Horror? 
Yeah, I've seen that one. The uh, the talk to the kid that actually lived in the house, right? Yeah, they talk to the kid and the, and they and he uh, says that the the reason why it was so bad because it was the only reason why it was so bad is because it was fertile ground for a lot of George Lutz's occult practices. And that's why after the Lutzes moved out, you know, no other family had any problems living there. But being that there was a murder there in 74, it was fertile ground for the occult practices that George Lutz was, was doing. And that's why it only happened to them. And all this, at least that's what I got from what the kid was saying. But it's a, it's an interesting documentary. It's worth a watch. I think you can watch it on YouTube. I'm not. Yeah, sure. we watched it. I think once all the way through, and uh, I still wasn't sure what to think of the whole thing because the the kid sort of comes off as a weirdo, but uh, a little bitter. I mean, which I get, but um, yeah. And it's, uh, what's her face from uh, uh, Warren? Uh, she's in it. Yeah, she's, she's actually interviewed. Uh, I can't think of her first name. She just passed away. Right. Her and her yeah. chickens. Yeah. But I know, like, Daniel Farrens, I think is his name. He's He was sort of infamous for the Halloween 6 producer's cut. He was a producer on that movie, and, you know, they changed his version of the movie so much into what came out. But he recently did that one... Oh, it was an Amityville movie that sat on a shelf for like five years before it got dumped straight to like free on Google Play or something last year. Yeah, that's that one um, with the kid in like a coma or something like oh, that. Like yeah. Yeah. Does that have Jennifer Jason Lee in it? Yeah. But I, I remember rem- seeing that tra- trailer in the theater. They played that trailer forever because it just kept getting pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. I remember, yeah. like, I remember seeing, I think it was. The f- maybe it was the first time I saw that trailer. It was when we went to go see Texas Chainsaw 3D. So that's how long it's been. I oh, produced wow. it. Amityville: The Awakening. The Awakening. That's right. Yeah, I think it got a couple title changes in between too. But yeah. it, I remember seeing the trailer when we—I forget what we were seeing—but the tra- they played the trailer and it had the date at the end, and it was like a good nine months. Like the date was not hadn't passed nine months ago. It was like coming April. Yeah. You know, 2017, and we're like, that was nine months ago. Mm-hmm. Why would they still be playing this trailer with the old date on it? <laughs> yeah. And and at that point, it had been indefinitely shelved, so I have no idea how the trailer got attached to something. We saw it in the, like, so strange. But um, it finally did sort of get, like I said, dumped. I think it went straight to Google Play for free for anybody to download, and then yep. eventually it went to... Uh, and, and I know, like, I'm friends with uh, Daniel Farron's on facebook and he was finding out all that stuff just as we were you know like yeah people would post the links on his wall like look it got delayed again or it looks like it might come out and he'd be like oh huh we've been told different but um the crazy thing is he went through this like this this crazy sort of battle with this movie for you know three years or more and then like soon as it got put out he got uh, hired on to direct his own new Amityville movie. It's like I—I th- I would think after all that <laughs> headache, I would just be like, I'm moving to a different, you know, property, a different idea. Yeah. And he also—he just—he just had that um, 
his his Sharon Tate movie with Hilary Duff playing her came out. It's on Amazon Prime now for free if you have Prime. Uh, that just came out, I think, this week on Prime. So it's like the murder of Sharon Tate, which a lot of people are not are not cool. Haunting, yeah, they're not cool with it because of you know it's a real thing that happened and it was not a cool thing that happened. So yeah, yeah. Amityville, yeah. huh? Yeah. The trailer was probably on, on. The trailer was probably released on thirty-five millimeter too. Probably. I've only seen the original Amityville and then the Ryan Reynolds one. I haven't seen any others. I've seen the third one, and I think is that the three uh, D one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, the second one's got like Paulie from Rocky in it. Burt Young. Yeah. One of those. I know. I've seen like at least the first three. I always wanted to see Amityville Dollhouse because that one is notoriously um, a bad, you know, notoriously recognized as a really bad movie. Rift tracks material. Yeah. When you said it had Polly for for some reason in a like for a split second in my head I got it mixed up with uh, Mickey and I was like Mickey from Rocky's in it that'd be interesting. <laughs> oh. I, I said I met Paulie Shore actually. Oh, <laughs> the, we, the, the weasels in there. The weasel. Weasel that you That would be awesome. All right, I'm going to go up next because uh, I only have a few things, and I just want a nice little palate cleanser until we, before we get to Jason. What does that mean? <laughs> you insult both because of us, Andy. What's the hell? We, yeah, we can't do both of you and right back to each other it's going to be the whole episode um <laughs> i watched not a lot of horror stuff i also saw once upon a time in hollywood i loved it uh yeah, and yeah. i'm excited like it, the funny thing is a lot of the people i've seen uh the only real negative thing i've heard people say is that they felt it was a little long and uh it came out this week that uh tarantino's <laughs> going to be putting out like a four hour plus version on netflix as a series like he did with the hateful yeah. eight so I'm like, bring it on, because there's so many people cool. that got announced that were cast in this movie and yep. were filmed that you don't see. Yep. Yeah, Buscemi is one of them. Yeah, and Tim Roth. And, oh, yeah, uh, that's, that's who it was, Tim Roth, not Buscemi. And, and the dude that's in, uh, I, I'm forgetting his name, he's in the new Sonic movie, and it's not Jim Carrey, the, the other guy. But um, I'm, assuming, some... I'm assuming it's like five more driving scenes, right? Come on. It's a lot of driving <laughs> scenes in this movie. Well, I, I listened to... There's a there's a really cool podcast that's three episodes long about uh, leading up to this where Tarantino talks with a a podcast host about like five movies that led up to this that are and and one of them's Boogie Nights and Valley Girls and uh, oh. it's very it's very interesting hearing him talk about the those driving scenes that you're talking about because he the way he remembers I mean they're completely self self indulgent because he talks about remembering driving with his stepdad in 1969 through Hollywood and he would have you know the windows down the radio would be blaring and he'd look up and just see all these cool theaters and all this you know fantastic stuff and uh, I actually was listening to the soundtrack today driving to work and from work and the soundtrack is so fucking cool because it is not just the songs from the movie it has all the radio ads in it and it's played oh Oh, wow and and the way it's played is like it's scratchy like it's coming in like a bad reception in a radio and it has like a dj Uh that that hosts that hosts it so he's like up next we have uh simon and garfunkel's mrs robinson 
and it plays it, and it's like a low-quality, sort of uh, scratchy version of it that sounds like a 1969 radio. And then it has ads for, like, cologne between them. And, oh, that's oh, awesome. It's, and it's just, the soundtrack is so damn good, but just the way they present it is so unique. It's like something that you, I mean, part of me is like, this would be cool to have on vinyl, but it's something that you have to listen to in your car because that's just yeah. how yeah. it would have been done. Yeah. You know, and I feel stupid driving in my car. I'm like, I want to get an old car and drive around. <laughs> but uh, the movie was so damn cool. I I definitely want to check it out again. But I'll probably just hold mm-hmm. off until we see it on Netflix as the uh, series. Because I, I did check out the Hateful Eight uh, version that he did on Netflix. It was fantastic. Another yeah. one. Oh, sorry. I, go ahead. I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm just curious. Um, were there... I guess should I... Or more to the point, I should ask the question, is Burt Reynolds in this movie, or did he not get a chance to film anything with him? He before? did not. He he did one table read, and I uh-huh. could go on about this, too. It's really sad, because there I, I read an article about that, too, and he did the table read, and he everyone on the set was like so stoked that Burt Reynolds was in it, because for my generation, we don't really remember the legend that he was but for like you know like brad pitt and leo they were like like especially brad pitt he was so stoked to have to be able to work with him and they said when burt got on set he was like a child and he was excited to be like i'm in a tarantino movie i'm working with brad pitt and leonardo dicaprio and they're like (laughs) are you kidding you're burt reynolds dude and so they were just geek like standing like or sitting at the the table read together geeking out of each other like they're all just in disbelief that they're working with each other and it's like it's own you know you could make a movie of this because uh they said that bert was like so excited after the table read he stopped at his uh the the acting school he went to and like talked to the kids that were there and donated a few items from his films that he had props and stuff uh he had just i mean he didn't even get to he didn't even go home he was just so motivated after the table read he's like this is so cool i'm you know, getting to work in this big Tarantino movie, you know, and he's had a few rough years and his health isn't great. You know, he wanted to stop. And then, you know, that was the only chance he got. He got, they said he got to read. He actually contacted, I think Brad and did a few, uh, if, if you've seen the movie, he, he would have had a very small role cause he got recast by, uh, who is it? Dern? Um, Oh, Bruce, Bruce Dern. Dern. He was yeah, Bruce, Bruce Dern's Dern. part. Oh, right. wow. That well, was, that's, see, <laughs> That's a damn good replacement. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, he was awesome in it, but I can only imagine it with Burt Reynolds. Yeah, yeah, and you know it, it's sort of sad, but um, I won't make this podcast super long because I, I could just talk. We could do a whole episode on this because I've I've read so many articles and podcasts and stuff. But the actor that played Bruce Lee in this, uh-huh. uh, he was pretty much done with acting. He had decided he was going to move back to Wisconsin, where he has a dojo. Uh, he's actually like a very accomplished martial artist and suddenly he got this sort of thing that popped up oh i could be in a tarantino movie playing bruce lee okay i'm going to stay in los angeles for another couple weeks so i can do the table read and and get you know this sorted out so he uh, he got cast by a casting agent which for a tarantino movie apparently that's pretty um rare seems like tarantino mostly just calls these people himself and says hey stop by the house and let's chat uh, so this guy hadn't really he knew that it was a tarantino movie 
but he did not really even get to read the script. There was one copy of the script, and you had to go to Tarantino's house to read it because he's gotten so paranoid after the Hateful Eight leaked um, that you have to go to his house to read it. And if you want to, if you're like, oh, I want to just read a few more lines from it, or I want to refresh myself, you have to go back to his house and read the one printed copy. But um, yeah, it's I don't know. He he. Anyways, this guy who played. Bruce Lee in the movie was very excited. He, he and so he shows up to the table read before anyone else because he's so stoked. You know, he's like, "I'm going to be in a Quentin Tarantino movie. How cool is this?" So he sits down, and it's just him and Tarantino in the room, and he's sitting there, he's sitting there, and in walks, you know, Brad Pitt, and he's like, "Oh shit, it's Brad Pitt! Like I'm going to be in a Tarantino movie, Brad Pitt." Next person walks in, Leonardo DiCaprio. He's like. Oh, oh my gosh, shit. Leonardo DiCaprio, yeah, Margot Robbie walks in the room, you know, um, Burt Reynolds walks in the room, uh, Luke Perry walks in the room, you know, just one name after another, uh-huh. everybody, who, and he is just like, he said he was like, losing his shit in his head, but he was trying to play it cool, like, oh yeah, yeah, cool man, like, you know, and uh, it, it, Tarantino said he it was just like watching like this little kid like on Christmas. He could he was like barely contain himself. But can you just imagine like oh. situation? What a weird, you know, you're sitting there and you have no idea. You just know basically that you're playing Bruce Lee. You don't you don't even have the script yet. This is your first glimpse of it. You don't know who who's going to be in it other than Tarantino directing, and all those names walk in and be wild. But um. Yeah, it, it's well, cool to listen to these podcasts, and th- the story behind making of Tarantino's movies are always just as interesting as the movies themselves. Well, I mean, and also you need to take into consideration this guy got cast as Bruce Lee, not evil Asian henchman number two, right? But <laughs> the Bruce man. Lee, the man. Yeah, I mean, so I, I mean, that's that's like that's like you know. Enough to make me crap bricks, you know. It's crazy, dude. Well, he, he was of, awesome too. I thought, yeah, he was, fantastic. Yeah. One of the other names that got they, they they filmed him, but he's not in the movie anywhere. Is James Marsden? And that's who I was saying was is from you know the new uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, but he's in it, and his scene apparently got cut. And from what the rumors are, is that he actually plays Burt Reynolds. Oh wow! So oh. he plays a young Burt Reynolds in a movie where Burt Reynolds was in originally <laughs> in the movie. Um, pretty wild, but it makes sense with the timelines lining yep. up because you have you know Bruce Lee and and he was you know it just would make sense with that timeline that he would be a young up and coming you know working yeah. in the western that kind of thing. So I would I hope that you know they bring at least let us see that scene in this in the extended cut or the series because that would be so cool. But um, yeah, I uh, I loved the movie. I could go on about it, but I'm going to move <laughs> on. Uh, another thing I revisited was The World's End because Nikki really wanted to watch it. Mm, fun. I, that movie's I, awesome. Love it. I, I think it's t- super underrated. Oh I yeah, I think it gets like no love out of the Cornetto trilogy, and it's a whole lot of fun. Not, Simon Pegg just shines. I think out it's of the trilogy, so this is probably his best because the dialogue is just so snappy and he's so damn funny. It, it is a lot of fun. It's so good. Uh, just, yeah, I love it. I love it. I, I feel like Edgar Wright at this point is a director who's had no at all misses, which is no. tough. 
you know, yeah. he's still fairly new, so he he has time. But um, <laughs> he has I'm time excited. to fuck it up. Yeah, yeah, he's directing a horror movie now, and then he he already has a uh, first draft or a, for uh, Baby Driver two, which I'm not. I love Baby Driver. I don't know if I, I, I don't know another one. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Just let it be and move on to more original stuff. But yeah, yeah World's End was great. Uh, I watched The Long Shot with Charlie Theron and Seth Rogen. Pretty boring, standard. Not I, I love a good rom-com, but this one is not one. It wasn't good? I didn't think so. I was pretty bored. Uh, the other thing is I finally got Nikki to start watching Twin Peaks with me. So we're like... Yay! You don't have four, to divorce four, her now. Yay. <laughs> we're like four, three or four episodes in. And, you know, that's that's a huge for me because I, I just got her to watch the pilot. And then it was like, it leaves you sort of hanging. It's like, all right, you know... Then the next day, it was like, you want to watch second episode? I'm like, yeah, play it cool, play it cool. Yeah, we can watch it. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Don't, yeah. don't want to make a deal of it, you know. Ease, then it ease her along. Yeah. Right, yeah, let her watch it on her pace. So, uh, and, and, you know, then I can finally share memes with somebody besides Andy. And uh, <laughs> so I'm excited that, you know, she finally got to watch that. But other than that, you know, I haven't. I, I watched the first episode of The Boys. I really enjoyed it. I think I'm going to try to get Nikki to watch the first one, see if she's into it so we can watch it together. It just so makes good. it easier when you live with somebody if you, you don't have to sneak away and watch something. Sure yeah. does, doesn't it, Mike? <laughs> yeah. And, and I think uh, I think she would totally dig it because the first episode's awesome. It's brutal. Yeah. The whole show is, starts yeah. with a bang, for sure, yeah. And that's a, it's tough to... Because I'm not at all familiar with the books or any of that. I've never once heard of it and so uh telling people that have superhero fatigue right now like hey it's a superhero show is not a good sell on it so i don't it's like hard to sell anything superhero to people who are just sort of sick of it right now but do you guys know that the uh the guy who plays huey uh that actor that is actually meg ryan and dennis quaid's son Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Jack Quaid. Yeah, somebody else yep. told me that too. Yeah, I well, like the Simon Pegg connection. With yeah, him. I was gonna say like in the comics. See, what, every time I saw the trailer, I was you know, and they never really show any of the boys really in all those trailers. It was always about the superheroes, which I thought was interesting. But uh, but like I never saw anything about like if Simon Pegg was gonna be in the show because Huey in the comics, they they came right out and said like. You know, uh, Garth Ennis and and the uh, artist has said that Huey is modeled after Simon Pegg. So when you look at Huey uh-huh. in the comic book, it is a comic book rendition of Simon Pegg, much like how what they did with Nick Fury in the Ultimates comics. They made Nick Fury to look like Samuel Jackson. So of course Samuel Jackson has to play Nick Fury in all the movies. And so I'm like, is Simon Pegg gonna be playing Huey in the in the show, um, he, you know he's you know, he probably he's kind of aged out of the role. So I thought it was still yeah. cool they got Simon Pegg in there to play his dad Heck at least. Yeah. So I thought that was I awesome. had I had heard at one point that they were interested in having uh, because they were just going to do a movie as opposed to a series, and I had heard you know Simon Pegg was they were interested in Simon Pegg as Huey, but I also heard that they were interested in having Russell Crowe be Billy Butcher. Mm. 
to. Uh, I mean, that that would have been interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely got the anger down. <laughs> yeah. Do I get to go? Do I get to go yet? Come on, let me turn. Let me Jason, turn. what did you watch? Hey, well, <laughs> I guess I'll carry the excitement for this part. I t- well, last time I'll one more chance to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I was going to say I'll, I agree with everything, but my one of my favorite takeaways is I just loved the friendship between those two. Oh my god, yes. How great were they? Yes. Great chemistry. And you wouldn't expect that from the number one and tied for number one A-list actor of our generation. <laughs> yeah. And they're fucking great. Yeah, and it's like Leonardo DiCaprio's character, you know, we could all sit there and I, th- I thought they balanced it really well because, like, he could come off as a major dick. Yeah. Like the way he treats the way he treats Brad Pitt, but he doesn't really know any better. That's that's the thing. Like he's just pampered Hollywood actor that just doesn't know any better and is honestly his heart is in the right place when it comes into the relationship between him and Brad. So yeah. So good. I I could say I wanted uh I, I found myself wanting more and more of Cliff Booth's story like oh yeah you know he's just he's technically just a stuntman he sort of plays the second but goddamn like every time he was on screen it was so good yeah and so with this movie those scenes on the ranch man that was yeah so So, cool because it was like so (laughs) tense but like it was he you know quentin just did a great job of building tension in those scenes but with with a protagonist that like didn't give two fucks, you know, right. it was almost like a horror movie scene. But like, it was an antagonist that was still completely in charge of the situation, and I thought that was cool. And so, the one thing this movie did for me is it sent me on a spiral of Roman Polanski, and I kind of got on a little kick of his because I hadn't really seen a lot. And so I went and I watched Rosemary's Baby again, 1968. Mm. And it's been a while since I tried to watch it. And Mike, every time it comes up, always seems to have some comment about its slow running timeness. But that didn't start with me. Like, I know a long time ago, we watched it for the show a long time ago. And. Whoever was on that show at the time all bitched about how <laughs> slow it was, and you were one of them, so don't even. But this time, I fucking loved it. Oh, man, I was in it all the way. It was so great. And Mia Farrow, I could, oh. I just, I couldn't blink when she was on the screen. She was just so awesome to watch. Yeah. I really, really dug it. Um, and then last night, I just, I went on down, I watched some Chinatown. I know it's not horror, but. I watched Chinatown. I'd never seen it before. Chinatown. From 1974. It has Jack Nicholson and Faye Dunaway in it. And it it was pretty fantastic. It's a good classic film. It's the water. Uh Uh-huh. And, uh, yep. And I think that one was on Tubi. Rosemary Baby's on Amazon Prime. Um, And then uh, I did watch the Daniel Farron's Haunting of Sharon Tate. Yesterday as well, with Hilary Duff and Lydia Hurst. And I like Daniel Farron's a lot. I too am a pal. And he's been on the show before, and I like him. 
Okay. That, that's where the niceness ends. It really is. So I feel bad about saying. I don't know. It was. I don't. I just. Okay. <laughs> I. I mean, the hate that you said you heard. I don't. I guess I understand it because it was kind of real, based more in reality, and it's a terrible thing that happened, of course. But my problems were just the. I wasn't. I wasn't sure what the hell he was trying to do. I mean, I, I guess I kind of get it by the end, but it was, I, it was just uh, it was beautiful. The soundtrack was amazing. Um, it looked good. Hillary Duff was good. Everybody was great, but more for me, it was. I just don't know that the story was worth doing i don't know you guys watch it and tell, tell me what you're you really thought. selling it i know i really am <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean it's interesting i but. saw one sharon tate movie this week and i don't need another well i just yeah i know and then and so it was kind of weird that also with one of our movies on this podcast there was a tie-in to all of this and um the Frighteners, our buddy says he was he, he was on the Spawn Ranch. He was one of the one of uh, what's his name's dudes. He was a sex slave. Am I anybody catch that part? No. In Frighteners. Um, in Frighteners. Um, oh yeah, well that was a del- it was part of the one of the deleted scenes, wasn't it? Was it? I guess I did watch. And the last several times it was I've the watched the Frighteners, cut. and it was I've yeah. watched the director's cut. Yeah, it was the director's cut, and like so, I don't even know anymore what I do because I watched the. Uh, but we'll get to it when we get to yep. that part of the show. Anyway, he references Spawn Ranch, and I'm like, whoa, that's weird tie-in. And then uh, lastly, I mean, I saw Point Blank, freaking awesome. Uh, the boys, awesome. But then I also watched the new Into the Dark on Hulu. It's called School Spirit. Yeah, yeah, it's a movie. It's basically, <laughs> it's basically. I know what you did last Breakfast Club. That sounds great. Yeah, so I had, I liked I liked the characters. I liked the actors. It was just it was it was that it was the Breakfast Club, but it was just takes place in detention, and bad shit goes happen goes bad. Yeah, so that's what I watched. Woo! Take that, sucker. Wasn't so bad. That's right. That's all, that's all you watched? That's it. You I cut know. some stuff because you felt embarrassed. No. <laughs> Andy whooped me on this one. Yeah, he did. All right. Well, that was awesome. Heck yeah. And now it's time to get into the meat and potatoes of the show as we are talking about movies that feature capital punishment, or at least... Uh, you know, the main bad guys in the film are victims of capital punishment. So to start us off with our first film, you know, I tried to go, tried to come up with a list that, um, a little outside the box, at least with this first film. So Jason, what's our first film for the night's discussion? Our first film this evening is the 1960 directorial debut from Mario Bava. Black Sunday. 
Not since Dracula stalked the earth has the world known so terrifying a day or night. It is I who renounce you, and in the name of Satan, I place a curse upon you. Black Sunday is like no motion picture you've ever seen. There are those who believe and those who do not. But both must know the suspense, the shock of meeting the living dead and of bringing the dead to life. Embrace me. You will die. But I can bring you pleasures mortals cannot know. Black Sunday. The most terrifying motion picture you'll ever see. Satan wearing strange robes and fighting with all the furies of Hades arouses the countryside to a frenzy of black terror. While being burned at the stake, the witch Asa Vaj, Vajda, okay, uh, she vows to enact revenge on her descendants. Hundreds of years later, Asa returns to life and immediately raises her henchmen from the dead, ready to keep her promise. This is the first time I saw this movie, I'll admit yes. it. Yes. You too? This was, um, this could be one of the unwrapped ones because I've been sitting on this Bava box set for, <laughs> uh, honestly, probably sitting on it for like 13 years. Yeah. Like, I got it when it first came out, this Bava box set, and I've been looking for a good excuse to watch it other than the fact that there's, it's, it's full of awesome Bava films, so right. this is a first watch. That's cool. First time for me as well. Whoa! Mike would be so proud. The, the set was technically already unwrapped. I just hadn't actually put it <laughs> any of the movies. So for those keeping track at home, got it. Got it. So now, I, yeah, now I want to get uh, get into the rest of them because yeah, I really next? enjoyed this one. Me too. I freaking loved it. I that was really good. Yeah. I just uh, I just remember right before I watched it, I saw that it was his first movie. So I'm like, oh gosh, you know. Yeah. Nervous. I had no idea until just now. Oh, yeah. And so I had that in my brain, and I'm watching, and I'm like, there's no way this is this first movie. This is... And I, so I kind of watched a lot of the technical stuff, too. I'm like, God dang, this is good. What the... The lighting is amazing. I don't know. I really dug it. Yeah, the... I mean, you watch stuff like this, and you can see so much influence on people afterwards oh yeah uh 
which, you know, sort of goes back to us talking Tarantino, but it's like, you know, you watch something like this and you you see like, oh, Tim Burton watched this quite a bit or Rob Zombie <laughs> saw this one quite a bit. Oh, like yeah. you can tell, you know, like Rob Zombie worships Bava. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and the just the like you could watch this movie on mute and it would still be damn cool like yeah. it looks it, it it's funny when i say that because it's like you could take clips from this put them together with like a rob zombie song and it would make total sense <laughs> like it'd be make a rob yeah. zombie music video he yeah it's just the the image of the mask with the nails in it uh the stark you know contrast with the black and white uh the costuming it's so damn cool this is something that you put on um, on a stormy night in October and just get those Halloween vibes. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... it's, it's ha- I don't think you're going to find a movie any more gothic than, than this one. I yeah. mean... Uh, and just... I was really surprised with the close-up of that executioner hammering that mask in yeah. your face. It's awesome. Yeah. Holy, holy shit. You know, for, a, for 1960, that's pretty damn hardcore. Yeah, and yeah, I love that, that mask, too. Little splooge of blood popping out of the top. It's a kick-ass kick awesome. mask. Yes. It's crazy, because Barbara Steele's still doing conventions. Right? Wow. Yeah, I saw her just... She just got announced for Whorehound Week, and I'm like, how does that math add up? Like, she's... <laughs> in this movie in 1960, I mean, I guess... You know, if Sid Haig's still doing conventions, but geez, man. Yeah, that's true. Because, yeah, he, he did Spider Baby right around the same year, I think. Yeah. The, yeah. Thing, the thing is, she doesn't she doesn't look too bad on the interview she did for the Pit and the Pendulum for uh, the Arrow release. She, for her age, she looks... She's 81. Pretty darn good. Not bad for 81. Sh- holy no. shit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she's older than Sid. Yeah, she took pretty good care of herself, apparently. So, um, I I love this movie. This was my introduction to Bava. Was this film and oh nice? And uh, you, know, you said it was like his first movie. That's always kind of been debatable because he worked. He did. He worked on as camera operator on a lot of films and did special effects in other films. And that was one of the cool things. Also about his career, the man knew how to shoot oh, special clear. effects, yeah. especially with no budget. Like the guy was really inventive when it came to doing special effects through the camera. So, and we're not just talking about like gore or whatever. I'm talking about like optical effects, like forced perspectives. If you go watch Planet of the Vampires, a lot of amazing forced perspective stuff that goes on in that movie. Um, but uh, he did. He worked as a special effects artist on a movie called Kaltiki, and rumor has it that he directed a lot of that movie. But you know, a lot of effects artists can really say that about movies they do special effects on because that's kind of part of it. Like if you're doing, especially you know, like you know, in the you know '60s, '70s, and '80s with the special effects artists, you know, it's a lot of it. You know, is camera trickery. So. The special effects artists sometimes do direct a lot of those like yep. big effect sequences. Yep, need to be a big part of it if not. So, exactly because there's got to you know there's got to be certain ways to light it and certain ways certain places to point that camera for the effect to look 
real and not rubber. But yeah, um, and I always felt like this movie is one of the most like visually iconic films of the Italian horror scene. Like this film in particular gets copied, it feels like it gets homage to or copied a lot. Pretty um, influential. Yes, exactly. One of the big ones that spring to mind, if you go back and watch Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, there's a lot of Black Chris or Black Christmas, Black Sunday imagery in that movie. Um, when just a flashback scene when Ichabod's mom pops out of the out of the the sarcophagus that has the spikes in it, and the body leans forward and it's wide eyed with the holes in the face. It's like straight out of Barbara Steele with the shot of her wide eyed with the holes in her face, but. And I and I wanted to mention that I mean it's like I I had never seen this movie, but just kn- knowing horror films in general, it feels familiar. You know, yes, because of that that iconic advertising that they had of her just all bug eyed, and you know you see where the holes of the mask had gone into her face, but she's just you know I mean does I mean I think Barbara Steele barely blinks in this movie because you know, she's <laughs> yeah. her. I, her eyes are just always just open so wide, and she's yeah, and it's just you, you you remember that sort of thing. And I already and I already knew what movie you were like. I said I already knew what movie you were talking about just because of that fact. And the executioners look badass. Yeah, that whole opening sequence is oh yeah is like the greatest yeah. thing ever. It's 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 worth the rest of the movie for just that opening scene. You know, because the, the rest of the movie has a tendency to drag on some spots, but I, I love just knocks it out of the park. I love the fact that her uh, her lover from the past, Javutic, uh, basically is um, looks like uh, Max von Sydow did in uh, Flash. He looks like Ming the Merciless <laughs> with that with that mustache. I'm just like, is that Ming? <laughs> nice. I just thought there was some really good filmmaking too, like uh, the I mean the in, when the guy gets attacked by the bat. They never in a bad horror movie they would have tried to show you some shitty bat, and they never did. They just you get a little wing, you get a lot of shadow, and him swinging around. I'm like, it was smart to not show more. I thought that was cool. Yeah. God damn! I now want to do like a whole Mario Baba episode. I'm not even. Well, Tad that. said he needs. He'll let you know what's left in his box set that he needs. Yeah, to it's do. right here. I, I don't even really have to leave. I can just lean over and grab it. What was in that set again? It has Black Sunday, Black Sabbath, The Girl Who Knew Too Much, Knives of the Avenger, and Kill Baby Kill. There's a couple there that I actually haven't seen before. Yeah, I got this as a gift a long time ago for Christmas. Like, my mom got me a Mario Bava set. If you've not seen Black Sabbath yet, though, watch that one. That is that was awesome. It's probably one. Of, did we ever watch that for the show? I know we've done a, f- a few. I don't think so. Episodes. Kill Baby Kill sounded familiar. Kill Baby Kill. I don't think we've done for the show, okay. but it's a good movie too. But it's a because it, Black Sun, Black Sabbath is an anthology film, and I don't remember if we did it for one of our anthology episodes back in the day. But it's got like one of the creepiest, like oh, creepiest corpses ever in a movie ever, 
and Black Sabbath. So, you could just do a black episode, all the movies black and in. Yeah, black, black Sunday, black Sabbath, black sheep. Uh, black and white films too. Oh. Black Christmas. Well, Sa- yeah. Well, Sabbath is in color. Nope, I can't do it. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what else cool. to say. Cool was- movie. It definitely, like you said, as gothic as they come. Uh, loved it and I'm glad I own it you know it only took 13 years for me to pop in the DVD yeah. <laughs> and I'm hoping it's not a, it won't be another 13 I can tell you that much cool yeah so impressed so so dang happy and impressed for a 1960 Mario Baba film it's oh. just fantastic I'm it's, I'm giddy you guys are so you know you guys are so impressed with it it's awesome it's a it's a great atmospheric film mm-hmm. The Just. man knows how to do atmosphere. Again, I keep going back to it, but Planet of the Vampires is another really good one for atmosphere. And that's one of those, like, if you were ever at the video store back in the day and you picked up the box and it's got it's got a pretty cool painted cover, but, you know, still pretty cheesy. And when you flip the box around, it's these guys, you know, the the, the astronauts in this in this movie look like they're from some 1950s you know, sci-fi film. So it looks cheesy as shit, you know, on the surface, but but there's a lot of masterful work in that movie. A lot there uh, there's a lot of uh Mario Bava film buffs out there that believe that um um Alien is a rip off of Planet of the Vampires. There's a lot of similarities in some of the imagery in both those movies. Yeah. Yeah. Is that yeah. it for Black Sunday? Where did we... Oh, it's on Tubi. Oh. Right. So people can listening yeah. that don't have access, you can check it out there. Just buy it. Yes. It's definitely one to it's have in the collection. Good. For real. I've got the DVD, but I, I would like to get a nice Blu-ray of it. That's Does one it, that deserves a Do they have one that exists on Blu-ray? Does it exist? I don't know. I don't know. I would think so. My God, it's you know it's Mario Bava's masterpiece but who knows okay well let's move on then um Andy what's the next movie we're going to talk about all right the next movie that we're talking about is from 1989 and it's Sean Cunningham produced we are talking about the horror show come on Jackie it's checkout time Nobody's going to miss Max Janky, especially Detective Lucas McCarthy. Glad you could make it, cop. He was born bad and stayed that way. <laughs> Nobody's going to miss Max Janky. We sent 50,000 volts of juice through that scum. Looks pretty dead to me, Professor. Because he hasn't gone anywhere. Lucas, I'm coming back to tear your world apart. You're dreaming! I thought you were dead. Damn it, Vinny, you scared me! I love you, Vinny. No! I told you I'd be back. Lucas! 
you thought Freddy was a howl. Funny thing happened to me on the way to the studio today. <laughs> and Jason was a scream. I got a present for you. Wait till you meet Max. Not even close. He's a cut above the rest. <laughs> the Horror Show. This is just the beginning. <laughs> this is actually part of the House series, but uh, since, from from what they were saying, and according to my research, they wanted to uh, amp it up because House 2 uh, was pretty much a, uh, a horror comedy, but this is uh, a movie about Detective Luthus McCarthy, and he's played by Lance Henriksen, and it's his apprehension of Meat Cleaver Max, played by Brian James. Uh, Meat Cleaver Max Jenke, to be precise. After Jenke's electrocution in which Max vows to return and make McCarthy's life hell, McCarthy begins to have these frequent hallucinations about uh, Jenke wreaking havoc upon himself and his family. As the film progresses, we find out that um, Max's uh, ex... Uh, where was I? As the film progresses, we find out that Max's uh, execution elevated to another level of consciousness and reality, so to speak. So, according to this professor that contacts uh, McCarthy, his name's Peter Campbell, Janko was able to do this by building up a tolerance to electricity. Uh, all the while, McCarthy questions his own sanity as uh, Janky, uh thwarts with his sense of reality and haunts his wife and children. Um, interesting, <laughs> interesting movie. Um, I dug up a few facts uh, about the uh, the the cast uh, that I thought were interesting. Uh, the actor played by David Oliver uh, Vinny. He actually died of AIDS in 1992, not long after this movie, like about three years later. Uh, he met his partner, Tim uh, Houlihan, uh, in acting class. And Houlihan actually played the yellow cadaver in Return of the Living Dead. Oh, nice. Um, Aaron Eisenberg, who played the son, uh, Lance Hendrickson's son, Scott, in this movie, he was actually 20 years old. What? What? Yes. Well, <laughs> just, just hear, hear me out. He was 20 years old. He had a malfunctioning kidney as a teen, and it stunted his growth. He's actually only 4 feet 11 inches tall. Holy shit. It's like Vinny from Doogie Howser, MD. Yeah. Do Doogie's best friend in that show was also like a full-grown adult, but he was just, you, you could pass him as a teenager. Or Andy yeah. Melanakis. Yeah. Or Danny DeVito. <laughs> He's just um, short. <laughs> He's short. He looked old. Or Mike Saunders. Um, anyway, uh, McCarthy actually, uh, he, has a, he has a partner in, his appre in, in the beginning of the movie, um, but he gets killed by Meat Cleaver Max. And his partner, uh, who's just named Casey, is is uh, the actor Terry Alexander. You also may know him as the chopper pilot John from Day of the Dead with the Caribbean guy. Oh my god! I'm pissed now that I didn't recognize them. <laughs> I was going to say, dramatic pause there for a Oh second. god damn it! You could hear everybody's brains working. 
Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Let's get that, that whirly bird up in the sky, man. So that yeah. accent in Day of the Dead must be real, because he was trying so hard to hold on to a normal English accent in Horror Show, but failed miserably. Because his, his yep. speech pattern was really weird. There was moments I couldn't understand even yeah. what he was saying. Uh, and I think his death was actually kind of corny, if you ask me. But we'll, we'll get we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Brian James, uh, our meat cleaver Max, um, he died of a heart attack in 1999 at the age of 54, sadly. Yep. And he's yep. he is a great character actor. Uh, Love him. Yeah. Uh, another 48 hours, 48 hour, Blade Runner, Tango and Cash. Uh, he's in one of my favorite Tales from the Crypt episodes called uh, Split Second, where he, he runs this logging camp, and I definitely, definitely suggest that episode. Uh, Lance Hengrenson, of course, is, you know, his, his you know, alien, Terminator, freaking, he's Chains Cooper and freaking Stone Cold, man. I mean, come on. Uh Another thing that I thought was interesting, Dee Dee Pfeiffer, uh, the daughter who played Bonnie in this, uh, she also starred in Vamp with, uh, oh gosh dang it, I, his name is escaping me, uh, he was in Nightmare 3, he was like, uh, and in Weird Science, uh, <laughs> eh, nah, hell, it doesn't matter. But uh, the other the other uh, cool fact is she's actually the younger sister of Michelle Pfeiffer. So, how old was she when she did horror show eighty seven? Oh, I don't know. I didn't check. I just thought that, so that I thought it blew me away that playing that, teenagers. Yeah, it just blew me away that uh, this kid was twenty years old and. I know. Yeah. This that's not. I can't accept it. <laughs> um. This this movie has uh, good parts and bad parts for me. Uh, I I really really like seeing Henriksen and Brian James in in lead roles, yeah. uh, especially especially Brian James. Yeah, because he's always just a heavy or just you know he's yeah. a hench, he's a he's a henchman. Yeah, and it's he said in interviews this was his favorite role. Yep. that he Aww. ever that he ever had. Uh, his his second one was probably cinnamon or something, but it it doesn't matter. But I just I, I think that he's awesome in this as as mm -hmm. the killer, and he was actually stunt doubled by Kane Hodder in this as well. Yep, I saw yeah. that. Yeah. Um. It maintains a zero percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is <laughs> kind of unfair. And it, and actually, yeah, it's really unfair. I think uh, it originally got an X rating, and so it had to be cut down. Um, it's just that hey, it was just during that heyday of the '80s, yeah. man, when the MPAA had huge boners against anything horror, man. They anything horror had to be chopped up, man. It was, it just was, a, it was a shitty time, man. Even though yeah, it, the '80s gave us so many amazing horror films, but you know, it was just, it was war. It was literally war between the film in, between the horror film industry and the MPAA. That's why I hate those bastards. Yeah. Uh, I think that the diner scene, when he goes in there, I mean, it literally looks like a freaking slaughterhouse. That that stuff is is great. Uh, I didn't it's, mind the cop. 
Ah, uh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just say it's kind of fun. I I was kind of chuckling at one point though. I I'm assuming a lot of it is Lance um, chewing the scenery, but at one point I'm like, well, there goes your element of surprise. Any stealth you're trying to do, because he's just like throwing shit and slamming into stuff and like knocking things over and you know, well, he, he, I he think pulls, he sh- like pulls his gun and shoots like like a gas line or something. I don't know what the hell. It is. <laughs> he is noisy as fuck going through that kitchen. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Um and 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 you know the like the hands and the head in the fryer, but the one thing that I thought was really cheesy and I was just like it was so Crypt Keeper, you know, the the blue plate special gag and I'm just like, really? Um yeah. I yeah. I thought it was yeah. I thought it was too cheesy for what, you know, they started out with. Yeah. You know. Um but I mean this janky guy doesn't fuck around. He cuts off that little girl's head and yeah, just he does. Yeah. Like, God damn. Holy shit. <laughs> All right, we 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 know we're dealing with a real nasty bastard here. Um I just want to know when he cuts off Lance Hendrickson's partner's arms if he was holding on to the girl still at the same time. Yeah, because yeah. like that—that's uh, pretty. That's some some pretty hardcore Jason Voorhees shit going on right there, man. Yeah, he's that uh, good. Like there, there's there's certain problems that I have with this film, uh, uh, and I'll get to, and I'll get to you know some of the some of the stuff that I like after that, but uh, I just got to tackle the fact that this. This movie seems to break its own rules that it sets out. Um, it's like one minute, um, everything's a hallucination, and the next minute, it's uh, the stuff that Jinky can do is is real. Okay, one minute uh, it's an hallucination that. Uh, Lucas's son Scott dies. He's got like all this blood and shit coming out of his ears. Okay, but now he's not dead. He didn't really kill him, but he's really able to kill the professor, and he's really able to kill Vinny. And those deaths stuck. But I mean, when he hurt his son, that didn't do anything. And when he does, when he does all this other stuff, it's all in hallucination. So I mean, it, it just goes. It goes a little too back and forth as to what is what he's capable of and what he's not capable of, and that's that. I found that really frustrating. And another thing that I just um, I cannot forgive when they're trying to uh, pin these murders on Lucas. Okay, Vinny's corpse was in the basin for like a solid damn week. Okay, and. It, the guy is a homicide investigator, okay, and he doesn't know that there's a man that's been cut in half in his base in his basement. There's no smell, okay. Don't don't feed me that horse shit, all right. Um, however, some of the one-liners I did like, you know, mom, I want my children. Favorite line: "Fuck the children," and he just starts taking that. <laughs> And one thing I th- I think Frank Miller had to steal this from this movie um, when Janky when they fry him in the chair in the first time and he says all that did was give me a hard on I was like and I know that echoes <laughs> Marv, is that the is that the best you can do you pansies all right you guys let's hear it oh 
Yeah, uh, take yeah. off. I said all I need. I, I've said all I need to say. I want to hear what you guys. Think. I agree with you. I I liked it a lot. I have very fond memories of watching it when it came out. Um, I had pictures of it on my wall. I remember that. Um, and I'm afraid it didn't hold up as well as my memory. <laughs> but you know, like you said, I, the things I liked still kick ass. Um, and there's definitely some holes there. Um, I love Brian James and. Oh yeah, I love. I don't know. It was a great Nightmare on Elm Street wannabe, and Amen. Um, that's. Uh, yeah, it's too bad. I mean, it could have been a, maybe could have been a new franchise, but I don't know, Mike. You tell tell us the, the House Three story. They uh, they um, were aiming for it to be a new franchise. That was the goal. That's why they you know changed their mind at the last minute from calling it house three because they were hoping that max janky would be like well the new freddy krueger but the thing is it's like that that was the thing there was so many films that were trying to capture the next freddy krueger and none of them hit because most of them were just ripping off freddy krueger shit you know like a, a serial killer from beyond the grave kind of kind of craziness, you know. Like Madman. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. The Jenny Wright flick. Which one? You know. Uh, isn't it I Madman? Oh, I Madman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking like you know, like this one in particular, or Bad Dreams is another example. Bad Dreams is mm-hmm. one where like you couldn't get any more obvious that you're ripping off freddy krueger so much so that you're going to cast your lead from one of the uh, dream warriors um well i instantly think of shocker yeah this is definitely shocker before shocker yeah, wasn't shocker's kind of trying to cash in on freddy as well though well, that's oh, what yeah. i'm saying though yeah. is that west west well, wanted to create another franchise with shocker he thought he had another freddy on his hands and there's so many similarities to this movie too, where the old electric chair coming back, yep. a very hardcore, yep. mean villain who was ruthless. I don't know. I just saw so many. Even what you're talking about with trying to create like the next big horror villain. There's even a scene in this uh, where Max Jenkins on the television, like in sh- like uh, how yeah. he travels in Shocker. So yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I love this movie when when it came out. But, yeah, watching it for the first time in decades, it does not hold up as well. I don't hate it. I still no. think it's fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. And yeah. you give me Brian James, you give me Lance Hendrickson, and it doesn't matter what they're doing. They, they, yeah. They're just awesome. But uh, uh, and the effects are cool, you know, and I, I still love the ridiculous uh, uh, dinner scene with the, with the turkey. Um. But although it's not dinner, it's lunch. Because you know, she calls it lunch. Yeah. And I'm like, who cooks a full fucking turkey for lunch? <laughs> and it was K&B too, wasn't it? Yeah, K&B. And this was an early K&B effects movie. Was, yeah. and, but the thing is, is when, and I, I think they were, Cunningham was really hoping that this would turn into another franchise. Because this movie was everywhere. Yeah. It, it had the cover of Fango back in the day. Article after article and several issues leading up to its release about this movie. Um, there was a there was a short lived series called This Is Horror, which yeah. aired on USA, and they also put uh, some of the episodes out on VHS. And 
and one of them was a, they did a big thing on K and B, and they showed a lot of the stuff that they did for horror show in um, in that segment. So, yeah, the, the, they were really pushing this hard to be something. Um, Manfredini was yeah. back, right? Yeah, Manfredini yeah. with actually an original score that does not rip off his Friday Thirteenth music for once. So, yep. <laughs> um, so that's good. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, but it, yeah, it's still fun, and, you know, it's still enjoyable, and um, but just, yeah, it just doesn't hold up. It feels like, for me, that final third act moment uh, where he's fighting Max at the end, that seemed, did it, was it just me, or did it seem to either go by either really quick or felt rather anticlimactic? Just, I don't know. It felt like it was lacking something. Well, I mean, I'll see, I... I thought that it seemed like they were putting more gags and hallucinations in fill as in as like you know filler scares to to make up for the story, you know like when his wife is hanging in the factory, but oh it's hallucination ha ha got you again, you know and then we're back to the races and I'm just like it's just like yeah it just seemed like it's like your bet. It's like your choice of words earlier. It's just like they were trying so hard to push this. And it's just like, it seems like the whole movie itself is trying too hard. Yeah. They should have maybe simplified it a little bit more. Yeah. That, that's just my opinion. I don't remember the name of the writer, but one of the writers um, ended up having, ended up wanting his name removed from it. So Alan Warner decided be, to go Alan Smithy. Yeah. So that one of the writers is, uh, Credited as Alan Smithy. Why exactly? I don't know. If he was just unhappy with the script or what happened there. But it's in it just, yeah, the, I think the backstory behind this movie is probably more interesting than the movie. Because yeah. um, uh, all foreign markets for this movie, it was released as House 3. And it's one yeah. of the weirdest franchises in cinema history because for some reason. Several years later, they come back to the house franchise, but they don't in the in the states, and they don't call the next one House Three be, because there's no technically there's no House Three in the states. No, they call it call it House Four. So in the United States, there's House One, House Two, House Four, and then uh, you know apparently the horror show. But in other all other markets, you know the horror show is House Three. But then when you get over to those crazy bastards in Italy, it's um, La Casa 3. And La Casa is a whole other can of worms altogether because it includes like the Evil Dead movies. Right. It's part of the La Casa franchise. Um, it's, it's just nuts. There's like six or wow. seven La Casa movies. And, and I think only one of them is an actual... Mm-hmm. One or two of them are an actual Italian production, so. La casa mi casa. (laughs) Anyway. Um, I did want to touch on one of my favorite scenes, just like, just a scene in general, was the internal affair guy, you know, just throwing daggers at, like, Hendrickson the whole time, interrogating him, you know, just, Mm. I mean, all, all up in his face. I mean, that was actually like a really good scene in my opinion and what and maybe this is maybe some people don't like this but i actually like the fact that you know once janky becomes real again 
sort of like you know the the pulling Freddy out of the dream gag. Um, I love the fact that Lucas just shoots him about like a hundred times, and then just for some good overkill, he actually just sticks the gun in his mouth and pulls the trigger. Yeah. I mean, that's how you dispose of a bad dude. It reminded it, it kind of reminded me of Hatchet too when. Daniel Harris just literally sticks the shotgun in Crawley's face and pulls the trigger and just ends it. Of course, it never ends because, well, it's a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. A couple cool cameos as co- different cops in this movie. Um, Lawrence Tierney, good old Rocking Mr. Big, so. was in there. I thought that was cool. And one, like one scene, how weird is that? He's just in and out. And then Louis Arquette um, was also in there. So I think he was. I think he was one of the big head honcho police officers or whatever. Yeah. Tad but hasn't said too much. No, yeah, what's Tad thing? Yeah, what's going on? I don't there? know. I I had <laughs> fun with it. it I, this is the first time watch for me. I don't see myself oh, watch yeah. again. <laughs> but um, I I love everyone in the movie, like you guys are saying, but I felt like, and it's not Brian James' fault, it was the way the character was written. It was just a little too late 80s, early 90s, like white trash, angry villain. It was just a little corny and cheesy to me. Like his scene stood out to me as cringeworthy. Uh, yeah. I really like Lance a lot, and it's it's always Sir weird to watch a lot. <laughs> I knew yes. that was coming. Oh. I, like, <laughs> I like watching the old stuff with Lance because you sort of forget after you've watched him so many years that he used to be like young and great shape and not saying he's bad Back now. Back when but he, he tried. You know, yeah. Really put yeah. It, now, you know, yeah, it just seemed, you know, I, I enjoy when he sort of chews up a scene, but overall, like freak me out with the, uh, the kid being 20. Cause in this kind of movie, uh, a character like that, if I would have watched this when I was young, like Jason did, and he had the pictures on his walls and stuff, like I would have related to that kid. He was the, the whole like comic relief of him getting all the nest quick and the mm-hmm. you know, all that shit. He's ripping off companies and stuff. Cracked me up. Something about it. You only get that kind of character in like a late, a mid to late eighties movie. Yeah, it, it really has absolutely no serves no purpose to the movie. Uh, other than making you, I guess, sort of relate to him or feel for him, but I don't, I don't know. Something about that is is funny to me, and he's such a just the look of that character is so very eighties. He looked lo- sort of oh, like yeah. uh, look like Haim in Lost Boys a little bit with uh-huh. the spiky yeah. blonde hair yeah. and the perfect. Be hanging out in the comic book shop with the Frog Brothers. And... Exactly, that's what I thought of instantly. So. It was, you know, this it, the whole time I just kept thinking, like, how are people not... It, this feels like uh, two people were trying to make Shocker. Like, these, this movie and Shocker, remind, like, bounce off each other so much for me. Yeah. Like, this one's not as good, but I would, I would watch Shocker over this. And the fact that we have both of them in the world, I'm always going to go for Shocker instead of this, but... Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, before rewatching it again, I would have said horror show all the way, but I think after this last viewing, I may agree with you. <coughs> Go with Shocker. I think I want to write a book about 80s movies that have a scene where the younger brother at the dinner table talks about sex 
with his older sister or talking about her boobs or whatever because that was a freaking trend in the 80s the pervy little brother that uh mm-hmm. that thinks about thinks about her si- older sister having sex or thinking about his older sister having boobs like just sitting here talking about it right now i can think of at least five titles <laughs> night of the demons comes to mind yep night of demons is a good one fun house is another one didn't this movie also start off with a cliche cat jumping out of a cupboard out of a cupboard who puts the cat in the cupboard at night Damn it, Cosmo. <laughs> Get out of the cupboards, Cosmo. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so that's the horror show. Uh, what's the last movie we're going to be talking about, Tad? Our last movie is one that I really love. It's the 1996 movie by Peter Jackson called The Frighteners. There has been a destructive force unleashed on this town such as I have never seen. Oh my god, I don't believe this is not happening! We have got a poltergeist! Okay, well, folks, I can do a clearance, but uh, it's not going to be cheap. Although I do offer a six-month guarantee. That fellow takes us totally for granted. Hey, Stuart, interact, huh? Frank Bannister had a remarkable ability. Psychic investigator? To communicate with the dead. You, you could see spirits? Emanations are normally confined to cemetery. You cannot push spirits around! Although they do escape. <laughs> and an uncanny knack. We're gonna scare the living daylights out of your parents. <gasps> for making a profit off the living. We're supposed to be his business partners. Everyone says that you're a fraud, but I've seen what you can do. Give it up, Frank. Death ain't no way to make a living. But now, some things put the fear of death in the living. What is happening to me? And sent the dead running for their lives. I've seen a figure in a cape. That was the soul collector. When your number's up, that's it. Frank, we got problems. All these murders that have been going on in Fairwater, they're going to pin them on you. From Universal Pictures and Robert Zemeckis. You're next, pal. And acclaimed director, Peter Jackson. We don't stop till the screaming starts, you dead. The Frighteners. This one uh, has always been a favorite of mine. I think I started, you know, I, I got into it at a, I mean, I was pretty young in 96. I was still in elementary school when this came out. Uh, it's sort of a nice introduction to, you know, a middle step for horror. It's not Monster Squad, but it's not a hardcore slasher by any means. It's sort of in the middle. But I, I think I probably watched it because I loved Michael J. Fox and this is his last sort of leading role in, in a film. Yep. But the story goes um, he I'll just sort of read the IMDb synopsis and then we can go more into it. But after a tragic car accident that kills his wife, a man Michael J. Fox's character discovers he can communicate with the dead to con people. However, when a demonic spirit appears, he may be the only one who can stop it from killing the living and the dead. So we're sort of introduced to 
this character, he is a known as a con man, Frank Bannister. He he him and you know his wife died in a tragic accident, so now he can actually see these ghosts. So the ghosts are real, but he's smart and uses it to his advantage and gets them to haunt these houses, and then he comes in and exercises the demons in these sort of crazy, uh, almost like a parody of Ghostbusters way, and he rips people off. And he's friends with these ghosts, and he lives in this big unfinished mansion because he was an architect, and he never finished his house. And it turns out, you know, he goes to sort of rip off this couple. The guy, the, the douchebag guy in the couple the the marriage uh ends up dying of what they think is what well, is a heart attack and he sort of falls for the woman who sort of falls for him too and it leads him to finding out much more about um what is causing this because the happens to be the woman goes she's a nurse and visits a a house to do a house call with a recluse and finds out that there was a relationship with a murdering Jake Busey. And there's some times, just a happy, really big coincidence that these two meet each other. And then there's uh, a crazy, absolutely nutso Jeffrey Combs thrown in there. Mm. This one's a lot of fun. Uh, yes. I, I wonder, Mike, did you, did you pick this one? Because, uh, at Crypticon, we got to hear D and, D and Jake sort of talking about this one a little bit. Uh, it's kind of a happy coincidence. Like, just when the but topic no, came up, this is the first one that sprung to my mind. Well, that's that's good because, you know, when we saw them in that panel, I sort of forgot that D and, uh, and Jake Busey were both in this. And so when they talked about it, I'm like, oh, I need to rewatch that, even though I, I this is one that I revisit pretty frequently around Halloween time. I feel like AMC plays it a lot. Uh, you know, this was—I think this was the first movie that Weta did, which is Peter yep. Jackson's, you know, special effects thing. And uh, the—they're the, sort of dated now, but at the time they were, you know, pretty mind-bending. The CGI, the effects. I still think there's a lot of it that still holds up, in my opinion. The, the, the ghosts are really cool. Yeah. The stuff, yeah. like when, when they're coming through the walls, like the. The ghosts that bend the wallpaper, that kind of stuff, is sort of outdated. Yeah, but the that's ghosts the dated stuff, yeah. Yeah, the ghosts themselves look really cool still. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that, that technology is probably still being used. Um, I but like it's, the, it's, it's interesting. Sorry to interrupt you, but they... No, you're okay. Like, if you um, watch the director's cut DVD, which is what I have, Peter Jackson introduces the movie, and he talks about how, like... When it came to the the special, when it came to the digital effects, like he was like kind of nervous because it was his company doing them, and he had he what he said he had like thirty computers to do the digital effects, and he's like I don't know what I'm going to do with these thirty computers. So basically, what I get is they were just making this shit up as they went along, and to still have some of that stuff still look as good as it does today, I think is is total testimony to. Uh, to the craftsmanship from over there, so yeah, I had sort of read that the studio took a big gamble on that, and he sort of was like, "Yeah, we can do it," and then it was like, "Oh shit, now we have to do it," <laughs> which yeah. which sometimes you know creates some of the best results when you have somebody like Peter Jackson who isn't going to just wing it. You know, what I mean, I mean, he sort of winged it, but you know that he's not going to put out a product that he doesn't like. 
Um, I had, I mean, it, it's sort of a sad thing. I, I remember seeing some of the making of this one, and there were scenes, you know, deleted scenes where Michael J. Fox kept saying uh, "Doc," like he kept yeah. doing some of. He, he kept he had a hard time. He had to redo a lot of his lines because he kept saying "Doc," and people at the time thought it was just sort of funny, like he got in this rut, and then we found out it was, you know, part of his his disease that was causing these uh, issues, which is mm. sort of sad, you yeah. know, to look back at these special effects and everybody's sort of laughing, but I think he had a good sense of humor about it too. Um, but I absolutely love Michael J. Fox. Uh, no. It's great. It, it's bittersweet to go back and watch him in, as a lead because we don't get enough of that now and yeah. ob- for obvious reasons. But it's, man, Jeffrey Combs is fucking batshit in this one. He has the worst haircut in movie history. <laughs> this is by far, I mean, even above Herbert West in yep. Reanimator, this is my favorite Jeffrey Combs role. Bar really? Man. Yeah. It's my favorite. I agree. That's what I said to Mike when we were watching it. I'm like, as much as I love Herbert West, this is amazing. Yeah. The, he, he brought so much to this. <laughs> he's so good. He's so damn bizarre. Um, he steals the he, movie for me, 100%. He, well, thing- he just outdoes everybody in this movie. And it's and it goes back to what I say. I say it all the time. The actors that impress me are the ones that have, have physical attributes to their acting. And there's just a lot of, of his, jitter, his jitteriness and just like... Um, you know, when he cowers and stuff like that, that I just think is just brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's just like you want to hate him because he's a bit of a villain in the movie, but he's just like, I never thought I'd say this, but he's a pain in the ass that you just want to see more of. Mm-hmm. Because he's such a bumbling idiot. You know, and it's like he can't, I mean, like... The, the line of the movie for me is just like, you are violating my territorial bubble. I mean, who, who, who says shit? Who says that shit? What FBI agent says that shit? Oh my god. How, how is this guy employed by the FBI? I mean, he should be like a section eight, like right then and there. I mean, it's, it's just, he's just awesome. Awesome. Just those moments when he like starts wandering off in his own thoughts and he's like, Seven, seven, you know, seven, six on the sixth of June. Seven, you know, yeah. he's put trying to put something together right in the middle of another conversation he was already having. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, from and also from what I read, this was a pretty big budget and it didn't do well at the box office, but critics loved it so much that you know Peter Jackson didn't end up in director's jail like he could have. Nope, he ended up because of this movie getting to make the Lord of the Rings movies. So right, and um, Zemeckis he was a producer on this, I believe. Yeah, mm-hmm. which you know he's he's really hit or miss for me, but at the time he was he had a pretty good uh, track record going. Yeah, same here. I've always been a Zemeckis fan up to that point. Yeah, some of his some of his stuff he does nowadays I don't give two shits about, but I've always been a Zemeckis fan. And um, and I feel like I, I feel like it's a good marriage him and Peter Jackson because I feel like both of those guys are 
effects artists directors like these are guys that effects artists whether it's it's practical effects or digital effects these are directors that know how to utilize that stuff well i mean i mean first time i ever saw forrest gump i was convinced um I was convinced the oh, what's the actor's name Gary Sinise uh, Sinise. You know, it's the first movie I ever seen him in, and I was convinced he he didn't have legs. You know, it's because like Zemeckis knew to pull off the effect. Not only do you green screen out his lower his lower half of his legs, but you put you put in digital things like you know uh, like an end table that would be in his way when he's trying to move if he had legs. So, and that was, that's the stuff that impressed me, you know, under like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I don't care what anybody says, I feel like those effects still hold up really well, and so I think it was a good marriage between those two, and I always, I always wondered why this movie wasn't more successful. Was it just too weird at the time, maybe? A little ahead of its time? Where people see the name Robert Zemeckis and Michael J. Fox thinking they're getting another Back to the Future type movie? Because it's not that at all. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, what I do know is that uh, we all know that it's Danny Elfman's score that really ties the room together. It's a good score. Like the dude's rug? Yep. Yeah, I saw that Danny Elfman was so impressed with Heavenly Creatures that he uh, approached Peter Jackson and said he wanted to do uh, one of he wanted to work together and do one of his movies. So he agreed to do this without even seeing a script or anything. And I saw that when they were writing this movie and they had the idea of a drill sergeant for a ghost, they sort of wrote it as a parody of Arlie um, Ermney's character in Full Metal Jacket and then they're just like why don't we just cast him and he can do it because <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, no one's going to do it Ar- justice yeah yeah. Arlie Ermey is, is great in almost anything I mean you 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 see him you know as an, as an actor you see him like as you know the drill sergeant in Full Metal Jacket or Sheriff Hoyt in Texas Chainsaw Massacre and you know and in Frighteners and this you know and then he can just do a complete 180 and play a gay man in Saving Silverman or a, a gay football coach in Saving oh, Silverman yeah. it's just like yeah. I mean it's just like uh, you know I would I never expected him to to be able to do that and he just he pulled it off just awesome he he was Arlie Ermey was cool dude wasn't he the boss in Willard in Willard yeah the yep Oh yeah, asshole. Yeah. yeah. Jake Jake Busey plays a really great serial killer in this one. Oh yeah, he does. Oh, it's awesome. so good. Mm-hmm. But let's not forget D. Wallace though. Like this is such a different part that we're ever used to seeing her play. Both, both yeah, parts, almost unrecognizable. Yeah. Two parts in this movie. Yeah, and I wonder, do you think it was a little bit of stunt casting putting? You know, America's movie mom you never as, as like, you know, so when that reveal is that she's in on it, spoiler alert, um, that it's all the more shocking because it's D. Wallace? Maybe a little bit. I, mean, I, I know she does batshit well. She does a she, great job with it. 
Oh, wow. She does a great job with it. She really chews that scenery. I like it when um, that, that, that scene towards the end where she's, where she's trying to find something to kill to kill him with and she holds something up some sharp. kind of saw or something and like Jake Busey's like no 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 and then she holds up that pickaxe and then she's just standing there stabbing the air with this pickaxe just laughing giddily and it's like it's awesome it's disturbing yeah. uh, and you know he this just going back slightly to Jake Busey and um uh, he talks about Charles Starkweather, and you know he, he killed all those people, you know, in Nebraska. I mean, you'd be surprised, like, and I've heard old people talk around here about you know Charles Starkweather, and you know, just e- even you know we we were like you know a hundred miles away from him at the time, and people were willingly leaving their keys in their car because they said that's all he wanted was transportation. They were locking their houses. And leaving their keys in their car, you know, and like filling their gas tanks, you know. So just just take it and go away, mm. you know. I mean that. I mean it was a very very scary thing, scary time back then, you know. So even in small towns, yeah. Because oh, he was he was he was he was on a rampage for two months, dude. He was, you know. And it's and I think you know they mentioned Starkweather so much be, because I mean. Carol Ann Fugate was with Charles Starkweather, and she was 15 years old at the time. And I mean, it just it mirrors this the story in this movie so much. You know, I mean, they weren't going around killing people in hospitals; they were just going wherever the hell they wanted to. So, I can't believe you haven't mentioned your favorite John Aston yet. I was getting to it. Yeah, <laughs> he's another one that steals the show for me because I just I love John Aston and. His makeup is fucking awesome with that jaw just oh, hanging yeah. there. And oh he's he's just so great. And it's just crazy to me to think that John Aston, who's I don't know how old he was when they made this movie, but he wasn't a young man at all, to go through all those prosthetics and, and play this role was cool. It was very cool of him. And, you know, that scene where he has sex with the mummy. <laughs> and I, I also think he's got one of the best lines in the film because he says death is no way to make a living. Yeah. He's tried to get Michael yeah. J. Clark, well, Frank Bannister in this case, uh, out of the business. So, yeah, this movie's yeah, awesome. I, yeah, the ghosts all you know sort of play caricatures, obviously, of their time period with a wild west cowboy and a disco dude and a nerd but i think that's what makes it so much fun and it they're very they, they play on your emotions because you know they're supposed to be funny but they're they're very tragic mm-hmm. there's you know and you see the the sadness in them and they play that up so well too because you know they they just want to you know you know, live a good afterlife, and I don't know. It, to me, it was, it's, <laughs> and, it's, it's, and it is sad when they die again. Yeah, that's right. yeah, oh, that's yeah. just it. You really are heartbroken like, no. when they when they buy it because, like, also you think, well, what happens to ghosts when they're killed? Right. You know, mm-hmm. so you think maybe they do it just to stop existing altogether, and you don't want that for these characters. They're just there's so much fun in the first half of the movie. 
Yeah, you become invested in them emotionally pretty quick. At least I know I was. Watching it this... Okay, I'm going to do something controversial. Oh, shit. Watching it this time, and I'm with you, Tad, a thousand percent. I love Michael J. Fox. I watched his entire run on Spin City. I love the Back to the Futures movies. I love Teen Wolf. Um, even class in 1988 when he was billed as... 84. Or 84, yeah, sorry. Um, he's even awesome in that. I'll, I'll watch anything with Michael guy. J. Fox. Yeah. but and, and maybe it was the early signs of the Parkinson's, but I don't know. I just feel like his moments of comedy were a little off. Like, I think he could have been a little funnier. He's been funnier. Well, is he... But he's the straight man. I mean, he's the guy you're following and need to... He's got his moments, though. Sure. He's got his moments. Like, when he's intera- interacting with... Uh, Interacting with people that are supposedly being haunted, and he puts on the the con man, you know, the con man persona, you know, and he's just like, oh, it's always a problem this time of year, you know, that those kind of lines. I don't know. I think it could have been a little uh, hammier, maybe, for those moments. It could have been a little funnier, or even even little moments like when um, when the one ghost is about ready to puke and. Is Michael J. Fox trying to make him puke by doing puking faces in his face? I mean, you remember that? Like, I've never understood that motivation right there at that moment. Is Michael J. Fox just fucking with him to try to get him to puke ectoplasm? Because it's funny. But it doesn't, I don't know, it just doesn't read that way. You're right. Controversial. Don't pick on (laughs) MJ. He's national treasure. National treasure. I, I did notice. I, I love did. him. Don't get me wrong. Even in Mars Attacks, he's awesome. No, that movie sucks. No, it doesn't. Oh, hold on. I did. I did notice a similarity between this movie and another movie that Michael J. Fox has done, and it's the catalyst of what um, establishes our story. In this movie, he plows through that guy's fence, you know, and that's what starts, you know, kind of this whole thing rolling along because he loses control of his car and he smashes through the guy's fence and run over his gnomes and all this other shit did you notice basically the movie doc hollywood starts you know starts the same way his horse runs off the road plows through the judge's fence and basically he gets you know stuck in the same well not the same kind of mess but basically it's the catalyst of what you know starts the whole thing going yeah, no, I never noticed that. Nice. Of course, it's been forever since I've seen Doc Hollywood. <laughs> Is that movie out on Blu-ray? I haven't seen that. Well, Andy movie. has it on VHS, so that's, that's all that matters. <laughs> I don't know about that. but oh. <laughs> uh, One more thing. Um, it's got a small cameo by uh, Melanie Lit- uh, Linsky. Melanie? What? Melanie? Is that what I said? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, who was one of the girls in Heavenly Creatures. And I read in the IMDb, IMDb trivia and the, that show that um, our lead actress is watching about, and, and it's talking about the story of the serial killers and stuff, that 
like uh, on the VHS box or whatever for it, you see those characters from Heavenly Creatures oh. on the box there. But she's awesome, and it was cool to see that she had a nice little cameo as one of the deputies in uh, in this movie. I think, if I remember right, I think that moment with her is one of the scenes that were cut. Oh shoot! Before, so you only really see her in this director's cut. Dang it! Yeah, she's awesome. She's done so many cool things. Oh yeah. All right. Well, I guess that uh, that wraps up the movies we're talking about. Um, any honorable mentions from anybody? Paranorman. Ooh, oh. yeah, that's right. That movie's great too. I haven't seen that in forever. I love it, and uh, it's another one that's pretty damn heavy. You know, they yeah kill the girl, and that's what sort of unleashes the whole thing. So. What's that studio that does that? You know, Leica. Cool. I think that's my favorite of of the ones that they've done so far. Is Paranormal. Yeah. Have you seen Missing Link yet? Oh, you know, honestly, I still I haven't seen Missing Link yet. Well, now that you have Simon, you should rent Missing Link. You'd love it. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah, I saw it in theaters. I've seen every Leica movie in theaters, like, opening weekend. I love them. I'm all he's, of them. He's okay. seen every movie in the theaters. Let's not kid. <laughs> No, just the Leica ones. I uh, <laughs> I remember I went to see Paranorman and the projector crapped out. Oh. And I went and I got, you know, my refund and they were like, Oh, is it you and your kid? And I'm like, Nope. They're like, So just one of you? <laughs> yep. <laughs> For this kid's movie? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you could have well, conned a free children's pass out of them too. You should just. could have. Yeah. I mean, we've obviously talked about it a lot, but my instant reaction is shocker, of course. Yeah. When you talk about your villain killed by... There's the the Stay Awake, uh, which I've only... I haven't actually seen all of it, but as a, you know, a little bit of a change-up, this... Uh, our our main bad guy dies in the gas chamber as opposed to the electric chair. Mm. So, uh, gosh, there's got to be well. Oh, oh yeah. uh, Vincent Price in the Haunted Palace. He gets burned at the stake. Okay, yeah. Here's one outside of the box. Thinking um, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. I was actually just going to say that, but I didn't know <laughs> if that if that counts because were, was he technically he was shot and killed so it wasn't it, I don't it was know. it was almost execution style i mean it right. would be the same as yeah um Fire but uh, but the the real the real question is is was was did he come back from the dead and do the killings cuz the never the movie never you answers never that yeah right still like that movie a lot oh yeah i, would, I guess sort of in a way um lords of salem you oh know, yeah, because it starts off with them executing the witches, and then mm. you know it, it isn't necessarily them coming back, but it's like the curse comes back. Uh, <laughs> now I'm now I'm grasping at straws. In popcorn, one of the fake movies in popcorn, the uh, 
what is it called? The Amazing Electrocution Man or whatever. Yeah. There you go. You are <laughs> that, grasping. Uh, that's actually that's actually Crispin Glover's dad, by the way. Oh, was it really? That's, yeah, it's Ben Glover. Alien yeah. is actually Crispin trivia. Glover's dad. Nice. I love that movie. Yep. Got borrow your copy. Yes. All right. Okay, so yeah. Yeah, let's see what all these attackers have to say about it. Yeah, but first we should probably take a break. Okay. So let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll do some segments. How about that? I love it. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. And we're back. It's time for segments. <laughs> and it's everybody's fifth favorite segment of the show. Come on. Shout outs. It's time for shout outs. Shout outs. Shout outs. Shout outs. Shout outs. All right. So we just asked what's your favorite horror movie involving villains that were executed. And on our Facebook page, Chris Anderson says, Freddy's execution carried out by the Elm Street parents wins it for me. Kind of one you of know the big what? Ones. Duh, how we did. Right. We were talking right. about like all these Freddy Krueger ripoffs and Freddy himself. It, it was right yeah. there all along. And the fact that it's not seen in the original, I don't count the remake or reimagining or whatever they call it, makes it that much better, that much more mysterious. But there is um, more than one version of that. You've got the Freddy's Nightmares version. Yeah. You've got the uh, Freddy's Dead uh, Part 6 version, yeah. where they go back in the mind. And you've got the Freddy versus... Did I say Freddy versus Jason? No, yeah. not yet, but uh, yeah, because I was going to say that. Yeah, one. there's a... There's a Freddy versus Jason. I mean, so there's there's more than one to choose from. Uh, it's the, all essentially uh, the same thing happening, really. So. Yeah, yeah. I prefer the Freddy's Nightmares one myself because you actually get to see the trial. See, and that's a really cool episode, directed by Toby Hooper, yep. by the way. Yep. Yeah. They started that show off strong with that first episode called Welcome to My Nightmare, so a little Alice Cooper reference there. But, um, uh, and, like, I remember when we saw... Uh, Robert England at Comic Con, he talked about there was a concert, there was a concept for a Nightmare on Elm Street movie that was all, all about the, trial. the yeah. trial and everything leading up to him being um, burned alive. And I'm like, and the time at the time I was like that would be freaking cool, but also at the time I'm like, kind of guys already sort of did that in Freddy's Nightmares. Yeah, but I think I'm with Chris. I think not seeing it kind of makes it even more. Oh yeah. You know, even more. Up next, we got Dave Thomas says, Ace of the Witch in Black Sunday slash The Mask of Satan. I love his hamburgers. Uh huh. Baconator. That's right. <laughs> I'm sure he loves hearing Never that. Never heard that one. Yep. 
Uh-huh. Just like Peter Parker, never hurt. Anyway, we know. He's kidding. Uh, we got next, we got Helen Tammy West says, 28 days later when Jim frees the zombie army dude and takes out the all the military guys at the end. Ah, so satisfying. Okay. Then we got Mike Reeb. That Reeb, asshole. What's up? Just kidding. I know in the last episode we gave him shit. And How some, dare you? And to, somebody already mentioned him once on this one, so <laughs> just always mention Mike Reeb, that prick. He says, <laughs> "We love you, Mike. Love. I love you. All I love. Know, wrong it's with all Jason. love." Yeah. He says, uh, "Meet Cleaver Max from the horror show was my favorite." I also for, I forgot that. Then he messaged me personally. I forgot, i got to find that really quick. And he says, I must have forgotten to hit enter uh, the button, oh, for the sibling movie. Never mind. He says, no. people under the stairs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's, <okay>. Oh, Reeb. <laughs> Reebster. Okay. Uh, He's got a horror show poster. Yeah. That'd be cool. That would be cool. Uh, Derek Patello, he says, Jesus <laughs> yeah, Passion of the Christ, right? Yeah, right, that's, right, the, uh, that's a good one. That's the you get the golden ticket award there, oh, my friend. Oh, Derek, you. And then we got Keir Arts poster of Shocker. Very cool. Then over in our Facebook group, that's right, the group edition. We got. Evan Runkle. Hey, Evan. Yeah. I'm all about movies. All about movies on the PFPN. He says, The Scolari Brothers in Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> nice. <laughs> all right, Brian Clark, he's up next. You Here ready, go. You ready? He says, Frankenstein, both the Universal and Hammer varieties. Yeah, the um, yeah, yeah. The monster, although not the villain, is made from executed criminals. Yep. And Wygor, yeah, in Son of Frankenstein survived hanging and is Bella Lugosi's best performance. Do you agree? You wouldn't know. What? I'm just kidding. Uh, and then he says, also, on a hard left turn, <laughs> <I> see it. <laughs> Ernest goes to jail. <laughs> <laughs> nice bookend to the yeah. whole Frankenstein talk there. That was <sighs> He's not wrong though. Yep. Alright, up up next we got Brett Royer. He says Fallen. Brian Clark chimes in and says, Good call, that movie is so good. I don't know that movie. Is that Denzel? Oh. Is that the one? Maybe. That's why I don't know it. Tina Schmidt says, Nightmare on Elm Street. Shocker, starring my pal Mitch Pileggi. Because they got to meet him. She got to meet him. That's pretty yep. awesome. Jason and Michael. Not you, Jay and Mikey. What? I'm referring to the Voorhees and Myers fellas. And are pretty much executed in each movie, technically. That's true. Yeah, yeah it's not wrong. True. Um, Jack Christensen says, Fulci's The Beyond. Oh, that's a great one because of that execution. Open up the whole freaking gateway to hell and yeah, like that. It's a good one. Take that. Yeah, he says the villain is not 
is not executed by the state, but by vigilante justice, the villain. He is, oh, he is whipped, nailed to a wall, and his, has his face melted off with lime. And it's probably one of the most gruesome, graphic, uh-huh. violent uh, executions put to film. He then haunts the hotel he is Christ. executed in and winds up opening one of the seven doorways to hell. Yeah! <laughs> That's all we had on the Facebook group. Over on Instagram, we got Four Foot Rod says, Shocker! It's an underrated Wes Craven classic. Should have had sequels. Keep on keeping on. And some emojis. And then... Necrocannibalistic Vomitorium. But we know that's Jonathan. Yeah. Yep, we know that's him. He says Black Sunday. Sunday, Sunday. (laughs) And then over on Twitter, we got Reagan Zupon at Reagan Zupon says Shocker. Another sweet poster of Shocker. I love it. Uh, We got Stevie One Up. At Lone Star Stevie says the devil's rejects. Yeah, okay. And customers also watched at CAW Podcast. Um, certainly not a favorite, but the horror show 1989, a.k.a. House 3, comes to mind. Woo! Um, thanks, everybody, for giving up. What, what, what about on... Um Snapchat and we don't have a Snapchat uh, yet. I see what you're doing, Tad. I don't think it's very funny. Because you know how you know how much time it takes for me to monitor all this shit. It's awesome. I was just saying this time, like we had several on every platform. I know, isn't it cool? It is. It was a good segment this week, Jason. So you think I need to start a Snapchat? No. Okay. No, I'm saying this too much. That'd be too much. You awesome. have enough to follow. How many voicemails did we get this week? <laughs> we were doing so good. <laughs> hey, for all those out there who want to leave a voicemail this year, we haven't had one this year, but it could happen. It could happen. Somebody will feel pity on me and make Tad shut up for a second. You can call us at 415-952-6857. I'm not even sure this still works. I need to call it. Yeah, call it. Make sure. They, they messaged me a while back. They're like, it's You're, been a year. Are you still taking voicemails? Or this, the fun other way is uh, 415-95-AOTKP. Somebody. Leave a on. voicemail. It costs us like $80 a month, guys. There you go. That's what all the Patreon's you, going for. <laughs> I was going to say, do you, you realize Tad is just going to call the voicemail and leave like the worst-ass uh, message to you yeah. that he can? And he <laughs> won't because he knows I'll, we'll put it on the show. That's why. <laughs> anyway, hey, guys, that's shout-outs. And then, just when you thought it was done, it's everyone's 53rd favorite segment. <laughs> In Saints Picks. Oh, this is what happens when you're delirious with the heat stroke and that great? You just can't wait to turn the air back on. You get goo you get silly. You get silly. 
Okay, so for this episode of Insane's Picks, I'm going to 1973 with a little film that not uh, probably a lot of people know about, uh, and that's a goddamn shame. It's called Arnold. It's directed by George Fenaday. Uh, Fernandy, I don't know. Are you asking us? Yes. <laughs> um, apparently, he directed a lot of Baywatch, so he's got that for him. But it's a cool cast. It's got Stella Stevens, uh, Roddy McDowell, um, Elsa Lancaster, uh, 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 Victor Bruno, uh, Bernard Fox, Jamie Farr, just to name a few. Uh, the movie opens in a cemetery with a casket being carried into a crypt. Then shortly following that um, is Stella Stevens, who plays Karen, in a full wedding dress with two bridesmaids as they also enter the crypt. So apparently, upon his death, Arnold uh, marries his girlfriend Karen. His wife at the time, um, or his wife when he was alive, is now technically his widow. So since she is his widow and no longer his wife... Karen is able to marry Arnold's corpse right there in the crypt shortly after Arnold had died. Everyone heads back to the house for the reading of the will. Uh, Arnold was a very, very, very rich man, and all of his greedy, backstabbing family and friends want it all, including Arnold's brother Robert, played by Roddy McDowell, um, who is having an affair behind Arnold's back with Karen. Uh, as sneaky and mischievous as everyone thinks they are, they are no match for Arnold, who is, who has left death traps accompanied by audio tapes um, and his preserved and articula um, articulated corpse for those who cared only for his money. This movie is awesome. It was a lot of fun. I was really captivated. Um, to be honest with you, I watched it last night and I, I could not stop. Sometimes, you know, if I, if I'm in a hurry to try to get an insane's pick in, I'll, I'll sneak in like 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, whatever. Um, you know, um, but, uh, never seeing this movie before and, and, and I've always wanted to see it. I've heard about it years and years and years ago and never been able to find it. Um, amazingly now it's in full on YouTube. It's a, it's a pretty shitty version, but hey. Uh, it's the only version that I know of that I could find. Um, so I was so excited to watch it, and I was just captivated. I just was in, in having such a great time with this movie that I had to watch it all the way through in one setting. So this movie has a kind of an amicus feel uh, vibe to it, uh, with all of its lavish sets and British actors and dark humor. Um, this film is a blast with twist after twist, and it's an interesting take on the whole ten little, uh, ten little um, Indian storyline as people are killed off one by one by a dead guy. Uh, the kills are fun and remind me a little bit of, of Dr. Fibes, actually, without the biblical connections. Um, spoiler alert, someone dies by a constricting three-piece suit that gets so tight that the person eventually explodes. It happens. It yes. Happens. So uh, this film is, is really funny. Uh, it's got um, some great kooky characters, such as the utterly clueless Constable Hook, uh, played, played by Bernard Fox. 
uh, who was in so many TV shows of the 60s and 70s and 80s, anywhere from like MASH to Love Boat, The Andy Griffith Show. It was a recurring character on Hogan's Heroes. He, the guy was all over television back in the day. And as soon as you would see him in this movie, you're like, oh yeah, I totally recognize him. So, And you know, speaking of MASH, you got Jamie Farr in, in this movie as well, who plays the mute um, servant... Maybe a little racist. Uh, he's you know wears a turban, has um, obviously a lot of pancake makeup on, but he has an eye patch and a hook for a hand that's never explained, and it's awesome. So um, kudos to that. But uh, yeah, was really excited uh, to see this movie. I, you know, like I said, I first heard about it from another podcast that basically explained the premise where a dead man gets revenge on his family and friends by a series of death traps that uh, kill everybody and his girlfriend, and he marries his girlfriend after he's dead. And I'm like, oh, I'm in. Sold. So, I, you know, um, you know again, it's not the best transfer ever. It's, it's, it's pretty bad. There's like moments, I can't, it looks like it's probably off of a VHS or something because there's moments where the tracking gets all wackadoodle. Um... But uh, Is that a if that's term, the only, yeah okay yeah, uh, but that uh, if that's the only way to see it, you know, see it, man, because it is a fun movie. So again, that's 1973, Arnold, Arnold, Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> watch it, watch it now, <laughs> do it. <laughs> Okay, so that's it for this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. It was a good one. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah good times. That's right. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, everybody out there for listening. Uh, special thanks to, out to thanks, the attackers yeah. out there who are Patreon supporters. Again, you Thanks. Too, yep. Yeah. You too can uh, be a Patreon supporter. Just uh, use the, or just, you know, put in AOTKP, check out the different tiers. And yeah. you know, pick your tier, become a supporter today, get all the cool stuff. So yeah, until- you can listen to me rant about toys for like half an hour. It's awesome. I love them. Yeah. All right. So thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you on the next episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Oh no! Could this be the end of <laughs> Attack of the Killer Podcast?